Thank you, Nala. Morning, church. Wow, you guys are very keen today. I thought I was going to have to tease it out of you like when I did, but that was great. Thank you. Um, I thought I was going to have to say something like, who's feeling tired this morning? Because it was like, oh. But I am going to ask it. Who's feeling tired this morning? You can be proud. Just be proud. I'm tired. Who feels like it's like halfway through August at the moment? Okay. That's quite a lot. Is that a majority? Kind of, we, we're saying, hey, listen. Uh, it's been one month. We enter 2018. And it's been quite hectic. We've been journeying through a series called Made for Fellowship for the past few weeks. And it's certainly kind of unearthed a lot of stuff and revealing a lot of stuff, which we're grateful for. If you, are well, uh, if you are new here today, I welcome you. It's great to have you. Of course, we welcome everyone. But if you are new, we really, really love you. And we do encourage you to fill out a welcome card. And if you are an unbeliever or somebody who's just searching, saying, hey, I, I wanna, I've heard about this church. I want to see what's going on. We welcome you as well, because all are welcome here at Rooted Fellowship. So, Dumelang, Lia Machetwe, Momochai, Tsiana Mugele at Rooted Fellowship, welcome by Ons Kak, and welcome to church. On is on Japanese, don't worry about it. He's doing Japanese, so, so he's, I'll get there eventually. So, where have we been? We, we, we are, clearly we are tired, but where we've been, where have we been for the past two weeks? We've sought to answer two questions. And those two questions I'll, I'll remind you are, are we made for fellowship? Are we made for fellowship? And then secondly, are we made for this fellowship? For rooted fellowship? Are we made for rooted fellowship? And so we've sought to answer those questions for the past two weeks. We're going to build on that as we go into today and finish the series. But just to recap, we saw two weeks ago that being part of a gospel-centered community does a number of things. It kind of stirs up and reveals the weight, the sins, the things we want to hide in our lives. It has a way of bringing it to the surface. And then as we get together in community, it has a way of pointing us to Jesus Christ, our ultimate example of strength and love. And then last week, we saw how celebrating the Lord's Supper, the love feast, communion, does two things. So when we gather here and celebrate communion, that, thing, that, that does two things. That act does two things. It points non-believers to the saving grace of our Lord Jesus Christ. And it reminds us as believers that there is an open invitation, an open table, not just for us in our individual capacity, but for all believers to come and enjoy fellowship with God. Now, I work for a Christian seminary, which is a, well, seminary, which is a funny way of saying a Christian university. And so um, a couple of weeks ago, I was marking some papers, and I came across my, my colleague who was also marking, and uh, he posted something on social, social media, and I think a lot of students will be able to relate to this. Uh, he said, and you can finish the sentence for me, um, doing lots of marking, uh, dear students, if you like it, then you should have put a ring on it. Okay, but not in an academic sphere. In an academic sphere, it's if you like it, then you should have put a citation on it. Okay, so can, can we understand? Do you get that, like a reference? Okay, so uh, I liked what Oni said for the past two weeks, and so that's what he said, and so I think that's what you said. I tried, it's amazing. And so uh, I would have to say that was Omakatle 2018. Okay. So that's the citation for me. 
If you've got a problem with that, come chat to us afterwards and maybe I can tighten up my, my referencing skills. I know it's an important one. So that's where we've been. We know where we are. That's where we've been. But where are we going today? Why community? Yes, we've sought to answer, are we made for fellowship? Are we made for this fellowship? But actually, at the end of the day, why community? Why community? Because you may be like, you know what, Jono? Um, I'm killing it. 4.30 every morning, I'm up on uh, Ferry Glen Hill, and I'm praying, and I'm confessing all the time, and I'm being reconciled to God, and so actually, I'm kind of handling this on my own pretty well. So why community? Or maybe you're saying today, you know what? I know that maybe I am made for community, but man, I've been burned way too many times. I've opened myself up and just been let down over and over and over again. Because let's be honest, common unity, community, is messy, right? Is that an amen? So why common unity? Why should we be unified around something that relates to all of us? And for that, we're going to come today to read out of the Gospel of John. But before we read out of this beautiful Word of God, I'm going to come before the Lord in prayer. And as Oni says, I'm going to pray for you. I ask that you would pray for me during this time. Let's bow our heads. Holy, living Father God, we thank you for this time. We thank you for your church. We thank you that we can come sing your praises, worship you, Lord God, above everything. That we can come and listen to your word. I pray for this time now, Lord God. I pray that you would open our eyes, open our ears, open our hearts, open our minds to you, to your message, what you would have us here today, this morning, Lord God. Lord, I pray that as I deliver this message, I pray, Lord, that it would be of you, that it would be only you, Lord God. Lord, I pray against any distractions, things that we may be thinking about from this past week, things that we may be thinking about as we go into this future week. I pray, Lord, that you would remove those distractions, that we would only know you, see you, and hear you. May the words of my mouth and the meditations of our hearts be acceptable in your sight, O Lord, our strength and our redeemer. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Okay. So, we're going to come to the Gospel of John. Before we dive into our exact text today, I'm just going to give you a bit of a contextual catch-up. You know me, I love it. So who was John? Who wrote the Gospel of John? Well, John uh, was a disciple who was referred to as Jesus' inner circle. Jesus had kind of his inner circle. He had his 12. He loved them all. He loves us all. But he had his 12 disciples. And in the inner circle was James, John, and Peter. And so John was one of these inner circle disciples. One disciple who was really close to Jesus. And in fact, in the Gospel of John, it says that he was reclining next to Jesus at the Last Supper. So John was really, really close with Jesus. But the reason why John writes can be found, it's not going to be our text for today, but it can be found in John chapter 20, verse 31. John writes this gospel with a purpose. And the purpose can be found in John 20, verse 31. So if you can, it's going to come up on the screen if you can read along with me. It says, but these are written... In other words, the account that has been written so that you may believe that Jesus is the Christ, the Son of God, and that by believing you may have life in 
his name. John writes with a purpose. He writes with the intention of light and life. Light and life. Light, revelation around who Jesus was, what he did. So that as we read that, we may believe in who Jesus was, in the Son of God, and the fact that only he could provide salvation for us. So John writes with the purpose of light and life, salvation, sorry, revelation and salvation. That's why John, John is writing. And in the prologue of John in chapter one, he sets the scene for us. It says this, John 1, 1 to 4. In the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God. He's talking about Jesus now. And the Word was God. He was in the beginning with God. All things were made through him. Everything was made through Jesus, and without him was not anything made that was made. Everything in the Holy Trinity was made, God, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. In him was life, and the life was the light of men. So at the beginning of time, Jesus was in this heavenly community, this deep, amazing community with the Holy Spirit and God, the triune God. They were in this amazing community. Jesus was there. So in the beginning, Genesis 1 verse 3, when it says, uh, God said, let there be light, Jesus was there. Jesus was there. But isn't it interesting? Because John shows us that Jesus, although in this perfect heavenly community, he leaves that heavenly community, lays his life down to dwell amongst us in an earthly community. Talk about laying down one privilege. The rest of John chapter 1 up to chapter 12 all involves Jesus' public ministry. Remember the light, who Jesus was, what he did, and which points us to believe in him as the Son of God. That's chapters 1 through 12. And then in chapter 13, we have what is known as, it's a fancy church word called the Upper Room Discourse. Four chapters, Upper Room Discourse, in which John zones in on what Jesus did and said at the Last Supper in the Upper Room. These three, four chapters focus on what Jesus did just before he fulfills his ultimate purpose of going to die on the cross. And so for 2,000 years, the church, we've treasured this holy word of God. Yes, we've treasured the entire word. It is God's breathed word. But this chapter that we're going to come to today, John 17, it has a treasured place in the life of a Christian because it's this window into this precious information that we need to know in order to understand what is about to happen. What is about to happen in Jesus' life? He's about to be crucified. He's about to be uh, resurrected and ascended to God. And so this information that he's about to tell us in this prayer to God the Father is to help us understand what is about to happen. And so it's crucial in the life of a believer. It's like the disciples and John specifically are eavesdropping on this amazingly intimate moment of prayer between God the Son and God the, Fa the Father. Are we okay? Know where we're at? Okay, that's where we're at. So, we come to our text today. This is John 17, referred to as the high priestly prayer. And it's Jesus praying to God the Father. So I invite you, it's going to be up on the screen. And so, 
Let's read it together. The high priestly prayer. When Jesus had spoken these words, he lifted up his eyes to heaven and said, Father, the hour has come. Glorify your Son, that the Son may glorify you. Since you have given him authority over all flesh to give eternal life to all whom you have given. And this is eternal life, that they know you, the only true God, and Jesus Christ, whom you have sent. I glorified you on earth, having accomplished the work that you gave me to do. And now, Father, glorify me in your own presence with the glory that I had with you before the world existed. Verse 6, I have manifested your name to the people whom you gave me out of the world. Yours they were, and you gave them to me, and they have kept your word. Now they know that everything that you have given me is from you, for I have given them the words that you gave me. And they have received them and have come to know in truth that I came from you. And they believe that you sent me. I am praying for them. I am not praying for the world, but for those whom you would have given me, for they are yours. All mine are yours, and yours are mine. And I am glorified in them. And I am no longer in the world, but they are in the world, and I am coming to you. Holy Father, keep them in your name, which you have given me, that they may be one, even as we are one. While I was with them, I kept them in your name, which you have given me. I have guarded them, and not one of them has been lost, except the son of destruction, which knows Judas, and that the scripture might be fulfilled. But now I am coming to you, and these things I speak in the world, that they may have my joy fulfilled in themselves. I have given them your word, and the world has hated them because they are not of the world, just as I am not of the world. I do not ask that you would take them out of the world, but that you would keep them from the evil one. They are not of the world, just as I am not of the world. Sanctify them in truth. Your word is truth. As you sent me into the world, so I have sent them into the world. And for their sake, I consecrate myself, that they also may be sanctified in truth. I do not ask for these only, but also for those who will believe in me through their word, that they may all be one, just as you, Father, are in me and I in you, that they may also be in us, so that the world may believe that you have sent me. The glory that you have given me, I have given to them, that they may be one even as we are one, I in them and you in me, that they may become perfectly one so that the world may know that you have sent me and loved them even as you loved me. Father, I desire that they also, whom you have given me, may be with me where I am, to see my glory that you have given me because you loved me before the foundation of the world. O righteous Father, even though the world does not know you, I know you, and these know you n know that you have sent me. I have made known to them your name, and I will continue to make it known that the love with which you have loved me may be in them and I in them. In Jesus' name. Thank you, Lord, for your word. Nice long chunk of scripture and a beautiful, beautiful prayer that Jesus prays. So as we go and delve into this text this morning, I want us to look at three communities within that text, okay? So there's a lot, but in there, 
we're going to unpack three communities that Jesus addresses. He talks about three communities. Three communities, one purpose. Okay? We're going to discuss three communities, one purpose. And the first community that we're going to look at is found in verses 1 to 5, where Jesus discusses the Trinity's purpose. So let's read that, reread again. It's going to be up on the screen. Jesus discusses the Trinity's purpose, glory, light, and life, in the verses 1 to 5. When Jesus had spoken these words, he lifted up his eyes to heaven and said, Father, so the Son is talking to the Father, the hour has come to glorify your Son. I want you to focus on the words glorify, so that the Son may glorify you. Glorify me so that I may glorify you. Since you have given him, the Son, authority over all flesh to give eternal life, light and life, glorify me so that I may bring life to all whom you have given him. And this is eternal life, saving grace in Jesus Christ, that they know you, the only true God, and Jesus Christ whom you have sent. I, Jesus, glorified you on earth having accomplished the work that you gave me to do in the way I've lived, in the cross that I'm about to go down, in dying and raising and being resurrected. And now, Father, glorify me in your own presence with the glory that I had with you before the world existed. The same glory that I existed between you and me at the beginning of time in the Holy Trinity, glorify me now in that way that they, future believers, the disciples, apostles, may know that you are God. Jesus clearly says that the Trinity's purpose on earth, his purpose on earth, as it was in heaven, is to glorify God. What does it mean to glorify God? To point people to God, to reveal God, the one true loving God. And in doing this, others would believe in Jesus Christ. They would believe in Jesus Christ's salvation purpose and receive everlasting life. You see, in Jesus living the perfect life, dying the perfect death on the cross at Calvary, he showed us that God so loved the world that he gave his only son so that all who believe in him may have eternal life. The Trinity's purpose, God the Son, God the Father, God the Holy Spirit, is to bring glory to God. And as we glorify God, light and life comes. That's the Trinity's purpose, verses 1 through 5. But let's look a little bit deeper in verses 6 to 19. I'm not going to go through it all. 6 to 19, though, we see another community that Jesus addresses. The apostles, his apostles, his disciples right there in front of him, watching him pray to God the Father. This is what he says about them. I have manifested your name to the people whom you gave me out of this world. Jesus is saying, I have shown your glory, shown your name to these people, these 12 whom you have given me out of this world. Let's check verse 10. And then Jesus says this, all mine are yours. All my followers are yours, Lord God. And yours are mine. Everything that you have, Lord Father God, is mine. And I have glorified in them. I am glorified in them. And then here, verse 11, see what he says. And I am no longer in the world. Jesus talking about in the future, after he's ascended, but they, his, his 12 apostles or 11 apostles, in the, are in the world. And I am coming to you, Holy Father. Keep them in your name, which you have given me, 
that they may be one, even as we are one. Jesus Christ prays for his apostles. He says, Lord, his disciples, his followers, may they be one in the same way that we are one. Why does he do this? Because you see, when Jesus ascended into heaven, God's glory plan was handed over. The baton was handed over to his disciples. And he said, you are now my glory plan. You are God's glory plan to bring light and life to this world. You are the vehicle which God will use to bring light and life to this world. Now, I consulted some specialists on what would be the best vehicle that you could drive if you wanted to get to the four corners of the world, okay? So I don't know, do we have any suggestions? Anyone like a really vehicle, like a big 4x4 fan? Okay, so apparently I did a bit of research. We've got Toyota Land Cruisers, we've got Hummers, we've got Jeeps. Anyone vote for those? Not really. But we do have an ardent Land Rover fan here. So I was like, we have Land Rover fans. So I went with a Land Rover Defender. We can bring that up. Okay, so if you want to get to the four corners of the world, this is what you're going to need to do it. Okay, this is going to be the vehicle which you're going to need to get to. Okay. Now that's great. We can have a vehicle. That is fantastic. This can be the vehicle that we have. But unfortunately, the vehicle can come in very different many ways. Okay? So this is the vehicle we need to, to get this message to the four corners of the world. But what happens if the vehicle looked like this? Is that going to be effective? You see, Jesus prays for the unity of his apostles and disciples. Because the unity of his followers is a central characteristic of the vehicle that he's going to use to further his glory in this world. I want to highlight this. Unity amongst his followers, God's followers, is not an end in itself. Community and just us kind of having a good time, that is not the purpose of furthering God's glory plan. But it is a central characteristic in the vehicle that God uses to bring about his light and his life in this world. We then move on to the third purpose, the third community that Jesus addresses in this prayer. Verses 20 to 26. Because we know that those 11, 12 apostles, they died. They were persecuted heavily. And all but one was actually killed in the name of the faith. John, our gospel writer, was spared, even though he was exiled. So what is God's future glory plan? What is his current glory plan after those followers? Who's going to be bringing light and life to the world that we live in now? Who's going to be pointing people to Jesus? How are we going to be pointing people to Jesus? Well, for that, we turn to verses 20 and 21 specifically. Read with me. It's going to be up on the screen. This is now Jesus praying for you and for me, deeply encouraging, praying for us. Jesus says, I do not ask for these only. In other words, I'm not just praying for my immediate followers in that room with him at that moment, but also for those who will believe in me through their word, through the work of these apostles, disciples, 
I am also praying for the people who will come after them. Verse 21, that they may all be one, just as you, Father, are in me, and I in you, that they also may be in us, so that the world may believe that you have sent me, that they may be one, so that the world may believe that you have sent me, so that the world may believe that Jesus Christ is Lord. Jesus prays for us, the church, for me, for you. He prays that we may be one so that God may be glorified. Jesus may be revealed as the Lord and Savior and that many people in our unity and oneness may have everlasting life. That many people would have communion with God, fellowship with God, and fellowship with one another. And in doing that, they would experience eternal life. A foretaste of heaven. Jesus prays for his final glory plan. And just like it was with the apostles, the disciples, followers of God, a central component to the vehicle that God uses to further out his glory, to give light and life in this world, so we need to be unified. You may say, hey, I mean, I kind of know that, right? We've been hearing that through church, maybe if you've been coming to church for a couple of years, and that's kind of what we've been covering for the past few weeks. So Ruta Fellowship, I'll ask us this question this morning. Are we, as people, made for fellowship? I think we've seen that we are. Over the past two weeks, psychology will tell you, science will tell you, we are, as human beings, made for fellowship. In fact, we may even take that further and say, you know what, even as Christians, we know that we are made for fellowship. Certainly, yes. We'd ask, answer yes, of course. We, we know we're made for fellowship. But how badly do we want the world awakened to the glory, light, life, and wonder of God and His transcultural church? How badly do we want the world awakened to the glory, light, life, and wonder of God and His transcultural church? You go onto our website, that's, that's something that makes us Rooted Fellowship. We want to see the world awakened to the wonder of God and his transcultural church. And we'd say, amen, yes, we want that. So how are we to do that? Well, we need to be properly unified. And say, Jono, what's that? What's properly unified? I suppose it would be the equivalent of saying, hey, listen, we need to be like put on our Adidas sneakers and say, we're all in. It's time to be all in. We need to be committed to celebrating the diversity that exists. Amen. Yes, we say that. But we also need to celebrate our common identity in Christ that transcends 
our differences. So I'd say that there's unity and then there's proper unity. So let me, if you will, indulge me to go into what kind of surface level unity may look like. So when I was a kid, I was, my sisters were five and six years older than me. Um, and so kind of growing up, uh, seeing my older siblings, I would go and say, okay, cool, what are you guys doing? And I'd want to do everything that they're doing, right? Of course, they didn't want that, so then we'd end up fighting, and I'd be lots of tears, and go downstairs telling mom, and uh, it would be like, hey, what's happening here? No, you guys are fighting? Okay, fine, neither of you can play with the gift, neither of you can swim, etc. So then eventually you cotton on, you think, okay, wait a minute. We don't, we, we don't need to necessarily be unified as long as we just look unified. So what would happen is my parents would go out, we'd be fighting, what have you, and then my parents would come home, and we'd be sickly sweet to one another. Oh, oh Mitch, can I get you a cup of tea? How can I help you? And then my parents would look at us and say, what's happening here? This doesn't seem right. This isn't real. What's going on here? And then it would come out, and of course, we wouldn't be allowed to swim and play with that toy, etc., etc. That is what surface-level unity looks like. And as we saw with my parents, it doesn't fool anyone, surface-level unity. But that's kind of on a personal level. So let's bring it to a church context. Let's get real. I believe that in, in our church context, a church context and in our church context, surface-level unity looks like this. I go to church with people. I sit next to people. I go to city group with people. I serve with people. But honestly, I have no idea about the concerns and the issues they're facing. It doesn't come up. Conversations around the coffee table go like this. Hey, how are you doing? No, I'm good. How are you doing? I'm good, thanks. How are you doing? No, we're good, thanks. We're good, thanks. Have a good week. Yeah, rough week, but you know, it's good. It's all good. It's a really rough week, but it's good. It's good. We always got to add that little church tag on, but it's good. We're okay. We're okay. We're good. Cool. You're good. That's cool. I can carry on doing my thing. Stops there. What about rooted fellowship, transcultural church? What does surface level unity look like there? I believe it looks like something like this. It says, you know what? I go to church with people that look differently from me, speak differently to me, come from different backgrounds, different cultures. And because I spend two hours with them on a Sunday, you know what? I don't need to engage my privilege. I don't need to engage my prejudice because you know what? We sit cozy in this hall for two hours. Stops there. But as the great Martin Luther King Jr. says, and it'll come up, it's a quote, it says, an individual has not started living until he can rise above the narrow confines of his individualistic concerns to the broader concerns of all humanity. I'm going to take this a little bit further and say, a true transcultural church has not began being unified until its members rise above the narrow confines of their individualistic concerns to the broader concerns of all of its members and humanity. 
We can take it even further. I was kind of rocked by this, doing a bit of research. There's a theologian, Bruce Waltke, who did a study on Proverbs. Study on Proverbs, and he says this, that in the Proverbs, when it speaks about the righteous, it says that the righteous are those who disadvantage themselves to advantage their community. Righteous are those who disadvantage themselves to the advancement of their community. And get this, this really rocked me. The wicked are those who advantage themselves to the disadvantage of the community. When I read that, I thought to myself, man, those extra five minutes that I'd really like to sleep in when I'm playing in band, I don't know if I should take those five minutes anymore. Are we disadvantaging ourselves to the advancement of this community, of the community outside these walls, in our city, in our province, in our nation, in our continent, on this world? Are we acting righteously and disadvantaging ourselves? Because if we are looking to the, to the light and life of the Lord Jesus Christ, that is exactly what he did for me and for you. You see, Jesus calls his church, he calls us to a whole another level of unity. He calls us to unity that doesn't just allow Oni to come into your living room and put up his feet on your coffee table. Not just that. He calls us to a unity that says, you know, Oni, actually there's this kind of, there's this cupboard in the bedroom, kind of under, under my bed, where I put all my trash, will you come help me clean that out as well? It invites our city groups, our friends, our D groups, our accountability groups to know exactly what we've got in that box that we're hiding away. And it says, you know what, will you come with me to take me and take this box to the dump? so that I may be rid of it once and for all. Jesus calls us to a unity that opens up and gets vulnerable. Now, our questions of the day are generally intentional. So I found it pretty interesting that the question was worded in a way that says, hey, listen, you need to get vulnerable. You need to open yourself up. And so I wasn't really surprised when Nala said, hey, listen, no one wanted to answer that. But Jesus calls us to a unity in which we have spaces where we can say, I really need a fashion designer and I really need their details. Please help me out. I really need a mentor. Please help me out. Who can be my mentor? Wouldn't it be great if someone could help Catherine right now after the service find her house? Wouldn't that be awesome? Wouldn't it be great if actually, because did you hear Meryl's prayer? Meryl was actually saying, I need someone to babysit my kids and give me a car. Meryl, is that what we're saying? But we kind of coat it up and say, no, I need a logistics specialist who's going to kind of help me. And so it's not really going to, you know, I'm not really being vulnerable here. We need to be in places where we can be vulnerable with one another. When we come to the common room and say, I am so messed up, I am so broken, you thought I was killing it at my job, I'm unemployed, you thought I was killing it in my marriage, actually things are falling apart, you thought this was good, my family and I haven't spoken in years. (laughs) 
Jesus calls us to that kind of unity. See, because in that unity, confession and reconciliation, they're happening on an individual and a corporate level on an ongoing basis. It's as if, as, as though we were breathing in, we would breathe in confession and breathe out reconciliation. That's the kind of church that Jesus is calling us to be. Let's breathe in confession and breathe out reconciliation. Because church, that is the unity that points people to Jesus Christ. That is the unity that glorifies God. And that is the unity that Jesus is calling us to. We're so good at bad-mouthing Christians and other preachers and other people on Facebook. And it says to the world, ah, Christians, which guy, what denomination are you guys? Are you, you hate these guys, you hate them? Yeah, I don't want to be part of that. There's so much division in your, in your camps. What camp are you? You guys are trying to be transcultural. Man, how many more divisions are there there? Jesus calls us to a different type of unity. One that knows one another's struggles. One that can be vulnerable with one another. And one that can confess before one another. We went through 1 Corinthians 11 last week on the Lord's Supper. And Paul's instructions to the Corinthians were, before you come to the table, before you come and celebrate the love feast, communion, before you come, ensure that you have confessed and been reconciled to God and to one another. Tim Keller writes that, the, that we begin to see the beauty in things when they are rightly related to one another, when they are rightly related to one another. And so that's why the marble arch is more beautiful than rocks in the field. That's why love is more beautiful than hate. You see, because when we begin to look at something and see how it intricately works together, like a piece of music or a flower, we begin to delight in that object, but it doesn't end there. We begin to delight in its creator, in its composer. The way we are put together, church, here this morning is a reflection on the way that God wants us to live. We acknowledge we're made for fellowship. And we acknowledge that 2018, you have called us to this fellowship, rooted fellowship. Father God, we love you, Lord. Thank you, Holy Father, Holy Spirit, Son of God, Jesus Christ, that you came into this world and redeemed us, Lord. We thank you for the glory that exists between you, Lord God, in the Holy Trinity. We thank you, Lord, that you began your glory plan at the beginning of time. Lord, thank you that you chose it fit to involve us in your glory plan. Thank you for your church, Lord, which you used to point people to Jesus, to point people to a saving knowledge of their Lord and Savior. Lord, I want to pray for 
for us this morning as a church, Lord. I pray that we would be a confessing and reconciling community, Lord God. I pray, Lord, that we would be unified in a way that you called us to be unified and not just merely unified on the surface level, Lord God. Lord, I pray for, for those in our midst who maybe don't know you, Lord God. I pray that as we come to the table this morning, Lord God, that, that many would examine their hearts. And if they're not believers, Lord, that they would just take this time to search their hearts and seek you, Lord God. Lord, I pray for the believers in our midst who would go to your table. I pray, Lord, that in that moment we would be confessing and reconciling with you, Lord God. That you would unite us as we meet in city groups and as informal groups, Lord God, that everyone would feel welcome and at home today. I pray for the depth of our conversations as we leave this place. I pray for our ministries as we go from this place, Lord God. In this time, inspire us, fill us. May we have a foretaste of the joyful banquet that exists for us in heaven, Lord God. We confess, Lord, that we have not loved you with our whole hearts. We confess that we have not loved one another, Lord, the way that you would want us to. Come now, Holy Spirit, convict us, move in us. May this time be a time where we bless, break, and behold, together as one body. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.